Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. If you would, as we hear from uh, Colossians chapter 1. Good morning, everyone. So happy to see all of you here today. And what I hope is the umpteenth time I would like to welcome you to New King Church. My name is Caleb. This is my daughter, Katie, and my son, Ray. And we will be doing the scripture reading today. Please join us in reading of the word. At the end, we will say, this is the word of the Lord. And we ask that you respond with thanks be to God. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I know some of you in here are... um, winter people, snow people. Um, I am in December. In December, I'm like, oh, look, y'all, we're going to have a white Christmas. And then by March, I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Um, Living in Vermont has taught me there, uh, there is something to celebrate in the spring. Growing up in Georgia, I grew up in uh, metro Atlanta area. And growing up in Georgia, spring was just pollen season, and um, there was nothing good about it. Um, But now I get it. Now I get why spring is a thing, why uh, it's good. It's the beginning of the end of winter. (laughs) Uh, I kind of think of Vermont as, uh, there's like two Vermonts in my mind, Um, there's winter Vermont, and then there's like summer Vermont. And, um, you know, during the, during the winter, it's like everything is dead. Uh, everything is covered over. It's cold. Um, it's lifeless out there, you know. And then, and then all of a sudden, around this time of the year, you start to see these little green things popping out of the ground, um, in uh, the, the book, the, the series, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis tells a story of a world that's ruled by an evil witch, and under her rule, it is perpetual winter. But when King Aslan returns, the world begins to thaw and eventually becomes like a garden. Um, the Bible actually tells us that there are two 
worlds. Uh, There's this present world, this present age, uh, and there's a world that's coming, an age to come. This isn't all that there is. And um, today's sermon is going to be talking a little bit about this age to come, this world to come. Because I think if you don't hear about it and know what's coming, you can't look forward to it. You can't long for it. And, uh, and, and that will either lead you to put, you know, all of your eggs in this basket and, and cling to this world with all your might, or it'll lead you to despair because you look around and you say, well, this world's broken. And it is. It is broken. But this present world with its wars and, and violence and lies, deception, is perpetual winter, but the new world to come is going to be the end of winter. And um, even now, even now in this broken world, if our eyes are open to see it, there are signs of spring because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look, you will begin to see little springs of life coming up. Um, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was the beginning of the world to come. The beginning of what is coming. Um, that, that passage that we just heard read is, is going to help us to understand that a little bit more. If you brought a Bible, uh, I would love for you to go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1. And that's, that's where we're going to be hanging out. 1 Corinthians 7.31 tells us that the present form of this world is passing away. Oh, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, but you would like one, we have a whole bunch of them in the back to hand out. Uh, So you can slip your hand up and people can come around and hand you a Bible. Um, Yeah, feel free to do that. We hand out Bibles every Sunday. So if you want a Bible, you can get one. Um, 1 Corinthians 7.31 tells us this present The present form of this world is passing away. Um, Hebrews 13, 14 tells us that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Maybe some of you have heard the verse that's in Revelation 21, where Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what he's doing. He's making all things new. There is another age coming, another world coming, and he's already started it, Um, but we don't see it yet the way that we will. So this morning, through this passage in Colossians 1, I, I want us to look at who Jesus is and just what it is that he's done for us by going to the cross and dying in our place, and then by being raised from the dead. I want you to see where human history is headed so that you can be excited about it and so that you can pry your fingers off of this world um, and start living with all your might for the world to come. So pray with me and then we'll jump into this together. Heavenly Father, We thank you for giving your son to reconcile all things to yourself. I ask, would you, in your grace, conquer our cold hearts this morning and grant the gift of new life right here in this room 
by the same power you used to raise your son. Breathe into dry bones and raise up an army of men and women filled with your spirit and with a passion for the glory of your name in Vermont and New England and to the ends of the earth. And I ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I hope you can follow along with me. We'll have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Here is um, my outline. Um, My outline is found right here in this passage. In in verse 15 are the first two points. We're going to unpack this statement that he is the image of the invisible God. That'll be my first point. The second point will be unpacking the second statement in verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. What in the world is that talking about? And then my third point will be looking at this little phrase in verse 18, that he is the firstborn from the dead. We're going to see that there's a lot to that. And then in verse 20, it says that the father through him, through Jesus, reconciled to himself all things. We're going to unpack that to to finish it up. That's where I'm headed. Those are my four points. Simple message. You can follow along. Um, So the first is looking at this statement. He is the image of the invisible God. And my first point is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, is God. He is God. So verse 15 said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16 said, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that's Jesus, and for him, that's Jesus. And then verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. This is the doctrine that's known as the deity of Christ. It is to say that he is God. And that's the first thing we ought to see as we read through this passage. It's it's written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And he is saying in an in-your-face way, Jesus is God. When it says that he is the image of the invisible God, he's saying he's God made visible. Uh, Bible commentator F.F. Bruce says it this way. To say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him, the nature and being of God have been perfectly revealed and that in him, the invisible has become visible. When we see Jesus, we see God in the flesh. This isn't a a doctrine that was invented after Jesus, but has nothing to do with what he said. No, no, no. This is exactly what Jesus himself claimed. In John 14, 9, for example, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In fact, this this teaching of Jesus is, is one of the main reasons the religious leaders wanted to kill him, because they knew this is what he claimed. This is a a foundational doctrine to the historic Orthodox Christian faith. The Nicene Creed, 
uh, which was written in 325, describes Jesus as God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. He is God, very God of very God. This is Jesus who died on a cross for your sins and mine. Um, Notice it says that all things were created through him and for him. He, all things hold together in him. He's the creator and the sustainer. Both the universe with its billions of galaxies and snailfish five miles deep in the ocean and pink flamingos and wild horses and redwoods and the Himalayas. But also the heavenly realm that we know almost nothing about with angels Armies of angels and six-winged flying seraphim and princes and thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. He made all of that too. Created it all, sustains it all. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. And that's the first thing we need to see from this passage. And that we need to know about Easter. Is that when we talk about Jesus dying on a cross and being buried and then rising three days later, we're not just talking about a good man, a good teacher, a prophet. We're talking about God himself in the flesh. The second thing that I want to look at, and the second point of my sermon this morning, is that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. That's that Second phrase there in verse 15. What this means is that Jesus is God the Father's son and heir. In ancient Mediterranean culture, the firstborn son was the heir of whatever the the father owned. So uh, maybe you've heard of the, the patriarch Abraham. And Abraham, it was a big deal that he didn't have a son And he was uh, too old to have a son. But then God came to him and promised him that he would have a son. This was a big deal because he didn't have an heir. And and he was a patriarch over a a few hundred people. He he was responsible for, for providing for them, for protecting them, for leading them. And he didn't have an heir. It was a big deal. Well, God promised him that he would. That in his old age, he and Sarah would have a son. They would have an heir. Jesus, being the firstborn of all creation, means he's the heir of it all. It's not saying that he was made first. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. He is God, begotten, not made, the creed says. Um. Psalm 89, 27 says this, the father speaking of the son, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. You see there, firstborn doesn't mean that he's going to be the first created, but that he is going to be the preeminent one over every king of the earth. Jesus is 
God's, God the Father's heir. John, John begins his gospel this way in John 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word. That's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, Bible commentator Bruce puts it this way. He was there when creation's work began, and it was for him as well as through him that it was completed. You get this picture of father and son together, working together in the creation of the world, and the father is saying, this is all for you, and it will all be yours one day. Hebrews 1 and verse 2 says it very blatantly. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. But in order to appreciate how magnificent this is, you need to see how this fits within the story of the whole Bible. So in the beginning, God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, and, and he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the whole earth. He, he, he asks them to co-rule with him, to rule over the earth, to, to take dominion over it. And God communed with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day, in the garden. And it, it, heaven and earth were united in those days. Um, but a serpent comes into the story and tempts Adam and Eve, and they abandon their allegiance to their creator, God. Adam sins against God, and his sin tears the fabric of the cosmos. God and sinful humans could not live in relationship together. Disease, decay, and death become the norm for all created things. Heaven and earth are separated. But God makes a promise the same day. And his promise is that a seed of the woman, someone who descends from Eve, will one day crush the head of the serpent. The story continues, leaving you wondering, who will this serpent crusher be? How will they come on the scene? And then as we continue to read through Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we meet this character named Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham that he will have a son, he will have an heir. And that he, this heir, this son, will inherit a land. There's a promised land, maybe you've heard. And, of course, God does come through, and Abraham and Sarah have a son in their old age, and God does give the descendants of Abraham a land. It's the land known as Israel. But by the time we get all the way to the New Testament in the Bible, the part of the Bible that, that tells us about the Son of God, Jesus, what we learn in Galatians 3, 3.16 says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So actually, what we find out is the promise that an 
heir or, or that, a, that a offspring of Abraham will be an heir and will inherit a land is actually talking about Jesus. And actually, the land of Israel is just the beginning of that inheritance. It says in Psalm 2, 8, again, the father speaking to the son. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. The nations are his inheritance. The whole world his to rule. And so when the gospel goes to new peoples and new lands and new tribes and tongues, when the gospel goes and a person turns from their rebellion against their creator and gives their allegiance to this king, that is exactly what's happening. The father is giving the son his inheritance until he gives him the world. Jesus is the true heir of Abraham. The first, at, the first human, Adam, was given the world to co-rule it with God, a world that was connected to the heavens, and he blew it, threw it away for sin. But Jesus, the new Adam, and the true heir of creation never sinned and went to the cross in obedience to his father to pay the penalty for Adam's and all of our sin. Because he did, the Father gives him the entire world and the heavens as his inheritance. And you might be thinking, but heaven and earth were separated. Yes, but not for much longer. God has a plan to unite heaven and earth again for Jesus to rule over both. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 says, He made known to us, the mystery of his will, a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. That's what it means that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. But now I want to look at another interesting phrase in verse 18 of our passage. Verse 18 says this, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now here is where we peer into the very exciting and deeper meaning of Easter, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the heir of all things. What did it mean when he was raised from the dead? When he died on the cross, he paid, this, he paid for the sins of everyone who would put their trust in him. And when he did that, he crushed the powers of this current age. The power of sin, the power of death, the power of the curse, the power of dark powers that are at work to rip people away from God. He is the first man of a new humanity a sinless, glorified humanity that is eternally and unbreakably tethered to his life. And firstborn implies there will be others to follow, doesn't it? 
Romans 6, 5 puts it this way. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's talking about Christians. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it it was different than people who had been brought back from the dead, like Lazarus, right? Lazarus was brought back from the dead. It's different than this resurrection. Lazarus died again, right? He still had a corruptible flesh. He was brought back. He wasn't resurrected in glory. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was resurrected with a new, glorious, incorruptible, imperishable body to live forever and ever. (laughs) We will be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Romans 8, 29, says, Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Brother and sister, you will be like him so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When he was raised from the dead, it was the beginning of a new world, a new humanity. Everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus, will be forgiven of their sins and given a relationship with their creator, God. Maybe you've known that. But maybe you haven't known that Christians will one day be raised from death with an eternal, glorified body like the one Jesus has. The one that John said, shone like the sun in full strength. That's coming for you. Philippians 3.21 says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. It can't get any clearer than that. That is why he is called the firstborn from the dead. When Jesus rose from death, he defeated everything that held men and women in bondage since the fall. Sin, death, and the devil are defeated foes. Jesus is the promised son of Eve who crushed the serpent under his heel. He defeated death through death. And his resurrection is the first of many resurrections of the sons and daughters of a new creation. All who trust in him will rise from sleep one day and awaken in the new world free from sin and disease and death and pain and suffering and tears. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know what you have to look forward to. We will live and work and eat and recreate and build and govern and take dominion as God originally intended for humanity. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the beginning of a new world right here in the middle of this old broken one that is marred by sin and the curse. We who believe will be raised to live eternally in that new creation, to rule with Jesus. And he will forever have preeminence, both in this passing age and in the one to come. Let's look at the last thing I want us to see in this passage in verse 20. It says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. My last point this morning is that Jesus is the reconciler of all things. As I've said, the first man's sin shattered the cosmos. But the new man, Jesus, the new man's obedience to the Father will reconcile. That word reconcile, it means to repair and reunite and make all things new. He's going to do that. He's going to reconcile, repair, reunite, make all things new. Things in heaven and things on earth. He's done this by his blood shed, by making peace by the blood of his cross. So let's consider this a little bit. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned against the creator and and it shattered the cosmos, that creation itself, this world, was subjected to the curse. Jesus will repair and reunite and make it all new. Here's the way that Romans 18, or sorry, 8, 19 through 22 puts it. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I know that was a lot, but it's saying that creation itself is watching and waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be fully and finally revealed And when creation sees that, then creation itself will be made new, released from its bondage to corruption and decay. Jesus made this possible through the shedding of his blood. He was the perfect sacrifice. When he went to the cross, he was sinless, perfect, perfection, And he took our place, paying in full the price for the sin that shattered the cosmos. And when he did that, by doing that, his blood made peace. Peace with God, the creator. Making it possible for everything to be made new. So the creation itself will be made new. Heaven will be repaired and made new and reunited with the rest of creation. 2 Peter 3.13 says, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Even heaven itself will be made new. But not, not only as is creation itself going to be reconciled to God, heaven reconciled, completely made new, But you, you can be reconciled to God because of the blood that was shed on the cross. His blood was shed to offer you, to offer you peace with God. I I don't know why you are here today, but 
I know this. You're here to hear this message, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have the opportunity to turn from your life of sin and rebellion and autonomy, away, living away from God, apart from God, to turn away from that and turn to God and receive forgiveness and peace. Your soul has also been shattered. And it too can be mended, restored. That's what's being offered to you, every single one of you. Jesus, the Son of God, the heir of heaven and earth, has come to earth as Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Having obeyed the Father's will, even to death, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is king of the universe, and he's returning to finish what he started 2,000 years ago. When he returns, the Bible says the dead in Christ will be raised into new glorious bodies like his, and those who remain will be transformed in a split second. Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. So what about you? Are you going to be among the wise, among those who see the beauty in God's glorious plan that has been unfolding since the beginning of time? Are you among the wise who will give your allegiance to King Jesus now before he returns? The Bible says when he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But those who bow the knee now and confess that he is Lord now, when he returns, they will be made like him to reign forever on the earth. He's made peace with God, reunion with the creator of it all possible through his perfect sinless sacrifice on the cross. He is risen, never to die again. He is alive forevermore. He is returning for his people. Will you be among them? Will you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, believing the good news that the Son of God died to pay the penalty for your sins and was raised to give you new life? Will you trust Jesus today to save you, to cleanse you, to make you new? Follow him and his death will be your death to your old life. His resurrection will be your new beginning. His glory will be your glory when he returns and his inheritance will be your inheritance in the age to come. If you wanna do that today, don't let this moment pass you by. Please, if you want to do that today, if you wanna put your trust in Jesus, then act. Step out in faith. Turn from your sins. Give him your life. Give him your allegiance. We're here for you today. We're here for you. 
There are people in the back ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you, ready to answer your questions. When we were about to get into some more songs, and, and as we do that, that's your opportunity to step out. Don't let this moment pass you by. Talk with someone, pray with someone, receive prayer, receive Jesus Christ. Give him your allegiance today and you'll have his glory in the age to come. For those of us in the room who have done that, I want to tell you the winter is almost past and spring is coming. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's gonna give us the kingdom one day and we will rule under his son, the preeminent one forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, oh Lord, hearts cannot change unless you change them. And so we ask you to do that right now by the power of the gospel that's been preached. Do what only you can do, but what you do day in and day out. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the resurrection that is to come, the revealing of the sons and daughters of God when you make all things new. And we look forward to that day. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross in our place. We worship you. Thank you. Thank you for walking out of that grave and offering us new life. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.